640 Toronto presents Think Tank, the breaking stories you care about. Please tell me. Okay, I'll tell you. The backstories you don't know yet. That's my question. Facts and opinions that get you through your day. You never know what you're going to get. And now let's meet the guests. And we'll certainly do that. We run Think Tank every morning at this time. Takes you all the way up to the 8 o'clock news with Dave Bradley. And let's welcome on broadcaster. I'm seeing the word Maven here. I'm not sure if that's on her business card, but uh, but she can claim it. Uh, and I used to work with her back in uh, olden times at 640 Toronto. Stephanie Smythe joins us right now. It's great to have you. You know, we've been trying to get you on our show for a long time. I know you know that, but I'm letting the audience know you're a, you're a valuable free agent. We love having you this morning. Oh, it's so great to be here, uh, Greg. Just like old times, right? Like I was there for about five years at a, uh... 640. So it's it's nice to be back. I made the news late once or twice in the afternoon and he never screamed at me. Maybe he screamed at somebody else, but he never screamed at me and I appreciated <laughs> no, that. No, no, no. No screaming ever, Greg. No. Oh, okay, ever. that's uh, that's right. A kind <laughs> right? a kind word and a, a bit of a, a push in the back usually works. Um Mohammed Faki is with us as well, chair of Paramount Paramount Fine Foods. He does it all as well. Thank you for coming on. It's great to have you. Thank you very much for having me. I think the last time you were on with us, you were talking about um, your great uh, late friend, Hazel McCallion, and we remembered Hazel so well um, the week she passed away and just left this remarkable legacy, not just in Mississauga, but the whole province. It's so true, and thank you for having me back. Absolutely. All right, Steph, let's start with this. I don't know what rises to uh, a 10 out of 10 scandal or a 1 out of 10 nothing burger, but late last <laughs> night, right, we get word of this trip to Las Vegas. And it's got a lot of salacious details about a current cabinet minister and a developer and a former aide to Doug Ford. But the problem being, beyond the fact they got massages, they all met up, they did this, they did that, is it looks like the integrity commissioner asked for information and the MPP didn't give him the right information, either on purpose or by accident. And you know probably which way, depending on which way you lean politically, people will differ as to whether it was an accident or whether it was done by design. Mm. Well, I guess the one thing we know here is what happens in Vegas doesn't always stay in Vegas, right? <laughs> the cost, I, I, I the cost of the massage <laughs> is uh, is $250 for 80 minutes. So that didn't stay there either. Yeah. Okay, so there's, you know, when you look at these kinds of stories, it's like you've got to dissect. There's the misremembering or, you know, uh, sort of the facts are getting a little foggy. And in the reporting uh, by CTV, which was great, um, it, it's basically what we're hearing is two stories now. What is there a chance bump in in a lobby in Vegas? Or, you know, you had uh, Min Masudi there. You had the minister, Khalid Bashid. You had the developer. Like, it's, you know, uh, everything kind of cooking together in this in this pot that, raises a ton of questions. Amid Masudi, by the way, who has left uh, the mm-hmm. premier's office, is very close to the Ford family. He worked with Rob Ford as well at City Hall. I knew him then. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of huge question marks here. What, you know, you want to do in this kind of situation is just watch all these facts as they unfold, right? So there's different sides of each story coming out now. But the bottom line is it's, it's, it's kryptonite. It's not good for the premier. It's not good for this ongoing, uh, you know, call it scandal with the green belt. Uh, it's, you know, just extending the life of this story negative 
obviously, for the government uh, beyond, you know, what he's hoping to get over by, you know, perching on a tractor yesterday and pretending that he might run over Colin DeMello. (laughs) (laughs) Another person who credits uh, credits you for uh, for guidance and uh, and steering along the way. He does. Is that Ford or Colin? (laughs) (laughs) It could be both. It could be both. Mohammed, you're you're in the public eye. And as you well know, being a philanthropist, you're going to take photos with people. You're going to you know, be at, at, at public events with people. But I know stories like this and how they hit the average person at their kitchen table or in their backyard. And they say, I want to trust politicians. I want them to have integrity. I want my vote to count. How does this story land for you? Well, I mean, <clears throat> uh, clearly I'm very vocal about uh, what politicians do and don't do. Uh, I think uh, being a politician, uh, we need to hold them accountable and uh, we need to hold them accountable and we need to speak up about it. It's $8 million scandal, and it doesn't seem it's going to end anytime soon. You know, a lot of us are mad about it. I mean, we see our children can't even uh, apply for a mortgage or buy a property anymore when $8 billion distributed on over 10 people that they're a friend of the premier and some ministers to the extreme that they first start the story uh, just a meeting by mistake in the lobby of a hotel and then turn to a <laughs> a massage invitation together. I mean, uh, it's unacceptable. They should come out and tell the story as it is. They should come clean, all of them. Uh, this idea, I misunderstood the question and I didn't hear the question. And let me get the opportunity to fix what I said. Ontarian will hold them accountable and deserve the truth. And uh, I was concerned the last two weeks that the story a little bit died down. And uh, because everyone should be held accountable and they should answer to Ontarian. And it's not fair. It's not fair. It's not right. And it's unethical what's happening. And it's not going to go anytime soon anywhere. Uh, Mm. It seems going worse and worse for the premier by the day. Stephanie, you've seen election cycles just like I have. And the way I think people look at this and they go, is anyone going to the news cycle moves so fast? Is anyone going to remember this in two and a half years? It might get brought up in a debate by Mart Stiles or whoever the new liberal leader is. But does it stick to the government? It might stick to this MPP. That's for sure. But it might not stick to the government when we go to vote again. Right. That's always a question because it is so far out. The election was just a year ago, June. So there's lots of time in between. The one thing that's still out there besides how what might the further leverage from this story that's happening right now come, but is the RCMP. So we know that they are part of this, uh, this situation now, whether they are investigating because the OPP handed it off, right? Um, if the RCMP were to come back with anything that indicates any potential criminal wrongdoing, that is a whole different story. Now it might come back and they say there's absolutely nothing there. And you know, that's, that is where we're standing. And then two years from now, maybe it will have all gone away. Um, but I doubt very much either way, the green belt's going to stick potentially mm. to the premier like Hydro one did to uh, Kathleen Wynne and Bill McGinty. And just so people know, um, the, the, on the Ontario government website, there's a $200 threshold. It's, it's not okay to accept any gift if it's worth less than $200. But, Mohammed, it's important to note for our audience, the $200 amount, that's the threshold, and that means you have to report. If somebody wants to give you a, a flag from a foreign country, well, you can take that and put that up in your office or a frame photo. Yeah, of course you can take that. And, and like we were saying at the beginning, public figures are well aware. They're well aware of that sort of understanding. But to your point, there's there's doing the right thing and being perceived to do the right thing. And they don't always intersect. And, and that's where people question others' integrity. And it's making people uh, really difficult for them to really run for office because 
uh, I mean, we, we see what the politicians are doing. Yeah. And it seemed like uh, we need different people to run for, uh, for these uh, jobs. But this is going to get stickier and stickier on Premier Ford. And Ontarians should not do what we did before, give him a majority by not showing up to vote. We should show up to vote and we should say what we feel about this. They all know the rules. They all know that they were breaking the rules. And they all know that they're telling this story is a way to get away from people finding out that they broke the rules. Mohamed Faki is our guest chair of Paramount Fine Foods. We've got Stephanie Smythe, uh, broadcaster as well, joining us on Toronto today. And this is Think Tank. I want you both to hear and the audience to hear Justin Trudeau's comments before he headed to New York to the United Nations about next steps in this explosive allegation about the Indian government. Our top priorities have therefore been, one, that our law enforcement and security agencies ensure the continued safety of all Canadians, and two, that all steps be taken to hold perpetrators of this murder to account. And just to reset for our audience, Canadian citizen Hardeep Singh Niger was shot dead outside a Sikh temple in Surrey, B.C. on June 18th, broad daylight. He's in his truck. And on Monday, Justin Trudeau said, we're quite certain that the Indian government played a role here with uh, either assigning agents to perform this assassination. Mohammed, let me start with you here. What what do you want to know about this situation that we don't know very much at all about the situation, except there is an allegation? Um, what I, I wonder if you think you and the other members like us of the Canadian public need more information here before we move forward and, and cast judgment. Yes, we do. And as you know, I, I immigrated from Lebanon and I've seen that in Lebanon in the war zone. But here in Canada, that's so crazy. That's just incredible. There is so much that I think we all want really to find out, starting how does this happen in a country like ours? And how dare a country like India be involved in a political assassination on our soil? And outside of a place of worship, right here on our land. I mean, I don't think it's a big surprise, or at least it shouldn't be that Modi's government might be involved in this kind of thing. They seem extremely bold in the way they ignore normal behavior in international relations in general. But here's the thing. I most would have liked to have witnessed or be just a fly on the wall when the prime minister was confronting Modi with the evidence of India's involvement, which has clearly made him very, very upset. That is something I would like to have seen. Listen, I'm glad he was confronted in person by our prime minister. You know, it's important once you have all the intelligence and the proof to confront the apparent guilty party and demand a full investigation and justice for sure. It's amazing, Stephanie. You've, you've been a news director, a Simon editor, a great award-winning newscaster. So you, you know how to put a news lineup together. I'm yeah. not sure we've seen a story like this in our country all, all the time, right? We, we grew up when we were younger, the IRA in Northern Ireland and, and killing people and, and uh, you know, members of the royal family and politicians in, in England. We've seen it in Asia and, and Eastern Europe. We've never seen it on our own soil, a story as explosive as this. Right. And the thing is, is that it's the implications aren't just here in Canada, right? So you know, what I'm watching now is, you know, the road between Canada and India, you know, how that's drawing in the rest of the G20, like America and Britain. It's like a really new low in that, you know, frosty relationship between India and Canada. And also now it's like it's at this time when, you have the world sort of pivoting to India over China as a trading partner. Mm-hmm. So where does this move put us, Canada and Trudeau? 
And and it's also really awkward for America and for for Britain. You know, Joe Biden and the British prime minister, you know, how are they reacting to this? It's, you know, um, we know that the White House, the National Security Council said it was deeply concerned about the allegations and the British PM wouldn't comment while an investigation was underway. So they're not taking, an, you know, any diplomatic action against India. So it's really fascinating to watch how this is going to play out. It's exactly what you've described, Greg, something that's happened on our soil. But will the rest of the G20 stand behind the prime minister? Or are they more concerned about what's going on with, you know, pivoting from, you know, to India as a way to reduce Chinese influence? Right? Yeah, so yeah. There's this whole geopolitical thing going on. Go ahead, Mohammed. Yeah, I agree 100 percent. It's not going to be what's the right thing to do here. You know, uh, they need to understand silence is a wink. What else Modi can do in their own country if we send a message to Modi or to any other country that it's okay what happened to happen again just because we have an interest where India can counter China. And Canada cannot do that for the rest of the world. So I think politicians are being the politician that we would like to see the opposite of what, how they're behaving. And I think the U.S. and the U.K. are trying to separate <laughs> the, the trade negotiation from what happened in Canada, and it's not separated. Uh, Modi's mm. behavior is unacceptable, and we they should join us and say that. Yeah, and I'm I, I, me. I'm fascinated where CSIS goes on this. Was there an ongoing investigation with CSIS, the RCMP, British Columbia Police? You'd think from June, a brazen daylight shooting of a popular person in the community, you'd be you'd have people on that 24-7. And where was that investigation? Where did that stand when Justin Trudeau got up on Monday and said what he said? I want to ask you both, by the way, Stephanie Smythe joining us, Mohamed Faki joining us uh, during Think Tank right here on 640 Toronto. The story out of Oshawa with the taser of the 12-year-old girl, it's affected everybody one way or the other. There is a real fence line. I'll lay that out. Here's what the police officer explaining what happened for Durham Region said to the public and the media yesterday. Officers continue to speak with her and attempting to calm her down. She was in a state of uh, irate. Uh, she was upset and angry. Uh, officers continued to speak to her as they were speaking to her. She fled out a side door that was located in the classroom. Uh, officers were unaware that this door was unlocked and that it had access to the schoolyard. Uh, she fled out that side door, at which time the officer went uh, behind her. And when he came outside, uh, she was violently assaulting a staff member of that school. And uh, to stop that assault, the officer made the decision uh, to deploy his uh, conducted energy weapon. Okay, so there will be an internal investigation. But Steph, as I listen to that clip, and I've heard it six times, and I watched the officer give it, I'm picturing two adult male cops chasing down a 12-year-old girl. I'm not there, so I'm just trying to use my imagination. And, and I just, I cannot believe there wasn't a better method than tasing her. Uh, well, thank goodness for body-worn cameras. And hopefully we'll get an idea, another picture, right? So we're hearing accounts right now, verbal accounts, some eyewitness accounts, and the body-worn cameras should help in the investigation as well. I think the main thing is there's a child in crisis here which was, you know, extremely sad and disturbing to hear about. Obviously, uh, sickening to hear that staff were injured and the potential for injury there. Uh, you know, we know that the 12-year-old had scissors at some point, as we heard in the clip, uh, and she put them down. But, you know, they're dealing with a situation where, we, as you said, Greg, we're not there. So yeah. we have to watch every element of the investigation, what they find out. 
I'm just so glad they didn't pull a weapon, like a gun. <laughs> you know, I, I, and that, I know that sounds funny. Like, yes, she was tased, and that is yeah. extremely disturbing. I'm just so happy it wasn't any other form of weaponry that was used. Um, you know, it, it's something that is, um, you, you can't really comment till you know everything. And I want to see the, I'd love to see the release of the body-worn camera uh, mm. footage. Not that we're ever going to, but I think that the main thing here, child in crisis, what was, what was the backstory here? Um, and, you know, thank God it wasn't worse. And she, she is okay. Uh, and that is good to hear. And I, apparently, you know, the, the teacher injured is um, okay, but Clearly, a really serious situation went down there yesterday that they were having a really difficult time getting a handle on. Mohammed, I've had people tell me that the taser um, neutralizes a, a physical threat with the least amount of force and harm. But I, I would assume she's been tackled before in the playground. I don't know what's going to create more trauma here. What's your thought on what happened? Well, I think uh, more information will come out. I agree uh, with everyone here. And uh I think uh, I'm hoping uh, we can find better ways to deal with things, but it goes back as well to the idea of uh, you want to really not use excessive force, especially 12 years old, like to handle 12 years old, it should not need uh, two police officers and tasering, hopefully, but we don't know the situation. And uh, definitely uh, goes back to the principle of uh, assaulting other people in the school. It makes you, figure out that I need to protect one person, but when that one person becomes danger to the whole ship, I need to protect everyone on the ship too, but definitely always, always without excessive power. Mm. Let me move to, uh, I, w- I really want to get our last couple in because they're a little lighter. We've not dealt with some <laughs> heavy assassination and 12-year-olds being tased is heavy uh, during breakfast. Mm. I'll give you that. <laughs> um, but getting around the city, we all love uh, Toronto. Um, 10 times as many rideshare drivers as licensed taxi drivers in the city of Toronto. And we just had Dave Bradley give a report noting that they're going to make the Uber and Lyft and, and conventional taxi drivers potentially go either with electric or hybrid vehicles by 2031. Here's my bottom line here, and I want to know what both of you think about it, starting with you, Stephanie. We have so many cars on the road. It's gridlock nonstop. We got Tom Cruise talking about it. It just doesn't feel it feels like the city is paralyzed to limit the amount of rideshare drivers that are in the city. There's 10 times as many. And it's probably a big reason why our roads are so crowded. They're looking to pick people up. Sure. But look, gridlock and it's like it's all kinds of reasons why we're seeing this. But the bottom line is 2031. OK, we're 2023. Um, the world is moving in that direction. If if Lyft and Uber drivers aren't thinking that way anyway, I'm surprised, right? So it's sort of, I'm seeing this as a natural progression that mm. they would be moving in that direction. You know, we're all kind of, it's in the back of my mind, I don't have one yet, but I'm certainly thinking about it down the road, right? As as things start to shift in that direction, it's not, you know, this is from an environmental perspective, you know, they say that, uh, you know, Uber, Lyft drivers and uh, taxis account for about 6% of Toronto's greenhouse gas emissions. So yes, there is the, the footprint there for sure. It's, it's, an environmental thing. It's also, you know, just moving forward as we find more efficient ways to operate in vehicles, because clearly we're still going to be relying on the car for quite some time. So mm-hmm. I see this as a natural progression. I'm not, you know, getting all, you know, mm-hmm. upset about this uh, one way or another. I think that everybody's got to be looking in this in this in this direction going forward. Mohammed, June 23 stats, 59,400 Uber, Lyft and other rideshare company drivers. We've got under 6,700 taxi and limo drivers in Toronto. Like the uh, 
it's a 10 to 1 ratio for the, uh, the, the, the private folks versus the public licensed folks. Well, I, I, I'm probably like everyone else. I like Uber and Lyft, and I use them, but I love the taxi companies. For example, I've partnered many, many times with Back Taxi. When I do the charity, Back Taxi send me taxi drivers and cars to send the food to churches and to homeless homes and to senior homes. They're good people, and they do amazing, amazing work, a lot of the taxi companies. And they're local. They're businesses that we would love to support. But back to Uber and the others, I appreciate the convenience and the pricing and the job opportunity they provide. But this is the exactly kind of the newish thing and innovation that we, and especially the government, need to keep eye, eye on. Because riders assume, not only think or uh, believe, they assume that there is some kind of regulation on insurance, safety, cleanliness, uh, but sometimes that's not the case. Convenience and price are not the only mm. consideration when it comes to this uh, newish thing. And the city needs to be on top of other concerns that people might have, but definitely is what the world is moving to for sure. All right, a couple minutes to wrap up. You guys have been amazing. Mohamed Faki joining us, Stephanie Smythe joining us. Who's been on a tractor or a combine? We'll open up our newspapers this morning and we'll see <laughs> Doug Ford with his sleeves rolled up because that's the only way to show that anybody's working hard. It's the Doug Ford, Justin Trudeau playbooks. Uh, short Rolled up sleeves mean you've earned a hard day's work of photo ops. So Doug Ford, Stephanie's on this tractor. <laughs> I'm dying. Has Stephanie Smythe been on a tractor or have you ridden in a combine? Ridden, rode, whatever works. Uh, Negative. I have not. However, (laughs) I have covered a plowing match before. Back when I worked in southwestern Ontario, in London, Ontario, I was at a plowing match. So there, I have been to one. (laughs) Okay, I won't say how many years ago that was. But I, and, you know, we all know environment, agriculture, front and center, Greenbelt conversations. And this is a fantastic way to appeal to rural Ontario. That's why all the premiers do it. And what better than that picture of Doug Ford on a tractor, right? Yeah. And they, uh, yeah, like work boots uh, instead of, uh, you know, new jogging shoes. There's no Christian Freeland high heels, like sensible footwear, <laughs> sensible footwear. <laughs> Muhammad, a tractor or a convoy. Do you have plow experience? What's on your LinkedIn <laughs> page for uh, agriculture work? <laughs> no, I only support farmers buying uh, <laughs> a lot of food for my restaurant. But I think, you know, I've driven a, a tractor back in Lebanon. And I think uh, it's funny that Doug Ford was driving a tractor. It reminded everybody of the green belt and what he's doing to those pieces of land. So uh, the poor thing is not working for him, whichever way I'm joking is not the poor thing. I think, uh, you know, I've, I've driven a tractor uh, and, and I love that it brings me back uh, to the to our heritage in Ontario, to the land. And definitely, I'm from the food industry, and I love love our farmers and what they do for all of us to put food on our table, especially in the pandemic. They have saved our life. So, yeah, enjoy driving a tractor, and not only because it's a big machine. It's a lot of fun. Though. Were you good at it? Uh, not really. <laughs> because <laughs> I've driven when you move right when I moved from Michigan I drove a giant rental truck and, and someone said that's oh, just like driving a tractor and I'm like well I can't do that either so you're not giving me a lot of confidence <laughs> yeah. those things don't fit right. under the drive through uh, the windows very well when you're when you're stopping at Burger King on the way and you're <laughs> and you're moving across uh, across the country I'm going to leave it there for you two thank you so much um, great insight great performance I loved having you both on you clicked so well together and I really <laughs> appreciate you both being on Stephanie and Muhammad thanks for the time Hey, thank, thank you. you nice to hear you, Muhammad, and uh, hope you're well. <laughs> Same here. Thank you. Awesome. Stephanie Smythe, broadcaster, Muhammad Faki, chair of Paramount Fine Foods. We had a dog in there, too. We will, by the way, Fridays are the all-dog edition of, uh, of Think Tank. So we need, now we've got one dog volunteered. We'll need a second. 